Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them to Luke 15. Luke 15. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome uh, Fellowship Olathe there joining us this morning via live stream. Lenexa Baptist, would you give a welcome to Fellowship Olathe and joining us? Pastor Travis out there, Roy leading them in worship. They're doing a great work to reach that community and also reach Church DeSoto is joining us via live stream as well as the venue service down the hall. And we're grateful that many others are joining us online this morning. Um, I'm reminded almost on a weekly basis that we have viewers uh, all over this nation and we have viewers all over the world, quite frankly, and it's exciting. And, and I'm grateful um, for our IT, our media team. In the midst of all this stuff, can we just demonstrate some gratitude for our IT and media team? They do a, a magnificent job and and we've been reminded again in the midst of all of this how, um, how thankful we are for their service to the Lord. Well, in Luke 15, we're going to pick up in verse 11. We come to probably one of the most popular parables of Jesus in all of God's Word. And it is one of the most powerful pictures of God's love and His salvation demonstrated towards us in Christ. It, there's really a danger in preaching a text like this because it really doesn't need to be preached. Um, in fact, <laughs> as many times, and I have preached this passage several times, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever done it justice. I never walk away from it feeling as though I adequately demonstrated the love that the Father has towards us in this text. And and so we could probably just get away with just reading it. But since I already prepared some stuff, we're, you're going to get to hear my, me preach this morning. And, and I'm going to do my best. But, but, you know, as we come to this, the prodigal son, the, the passage, it's sometimes um, used as, as, as principles for parenting. And, and I, I, obviously there's some application to people who maybe have wayward children, and we may talk about that in a moment. But really, this story is not about parenting. That this, this parable, it, it's not about wayward children. This parable is about us. The prodigal is you. The prodigal is me. We are all prodigals. All of us like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way. We're all prodigals. That's the spiritual condition of all of us apart from faith in Christ. And so this is a powerful text. When we jump into these passages, you know me, I love to preach through the word of God. And so it's difficult when we just jump into a text. You've got to understand the context to really understand the passage and you'll notice there in Luke 15, there's two other parables that precede uh, this parable on the prodigal son. And, and what's been occurring is Jesus has been um, receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were, were the chief of all sinners amongst that society. Nobody, you know, I don't know if you work for the IRS, but they were IRS workers, all right? They were the lowest of low. They were the chief of all sinners. No, nobody wanted to be around uh, a tax collector. And here is Jesus eating with these folks. And the Pharisees are getting upset. What in the world is he doing hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Why would he want to eat with them? And you got to remember, to eat with somebody in that culture was a sign of intimacy. 
And so Jesus, by eating with tax collectors and sinners, is saying that he's saying they're close to me, that they have full acceptance with me. A Pharisee wouldn't spend five minutes around one of these guys. And Jesus is drawing them in close, and they're mad, quite frankly. Why in the world would he do this? And so what he does in the two parables preceding this is he says, you guys don't like me hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Well, let me remind you about how you feel about sheep and how you feel about jewelry. And so he tells the parable of the the lost sheep. And, you know, you probably know this. You study God's word or if you know animals, sheep are dumb. They are dumb animals. Um, We're most likened to sheep in Scripture. Isn't that encouraging to you this morning? That's, That's the way we're viewed. But sheep are dumb. They're defenseless. They don't have sharp things. They're not fast. They've got no defense mechanism. They're not camouflaged. They can't, um, no stink glands. No, they got nothing, you know. They exist simply because of the grace and the provision of a shepherd. And so he looks at the men and he says, how do you feel if you lose one of your sheep? If you lose one of your sheep, what do you do? You suspend all activity and you go after that one lost sheep. That dirty mangy, dumb, defenseless sheep is so valuable to you that you leave everything else behind and you go pursue that sheep and when you find it and you rescue it, you throw it over your shoulders and you bring it home and you have a big celebration. He said, that's how you feel about dumb, stinky sheep. And then he looks at the women. They may not get the whole sheep story and so he says, how do you feel about jewelry? And the coins that it is referring to in that parable, the coins that a woman would, they, a woman would collect 10 coins and make a necklace out of them. They were a dowry necklace. And it was, a, um, it was a sign in that culture that you were available and that you brought something to the table. You had a dowry. And so it wasn't just about a coin. This was an emblem of who you were. It, it, it would be similar to, to your engagement ring or, or, or a wedding ring. But Jesus says to these ladies, if you lose a piece of jewelry, what do you do? You stop out all activity, you suspend all activity, and you search and hunt. Any of you ever lost a wedding ring, by the way? A little panic sets in, doesn't it? You suspend all activity, and you search and you hunt until you find that coin. And then when you find it, you call all your friends together and say, hey, we're going to have a party. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, men... You lose a sheep, and you suspend all activity. You go look for it, and then you find it, you celebrate. Ladies, you lose a piece of jewelry. You suspend all activity. He said, men, that's how you feel about sheep, and women, that's how you feel about jewelry. And then he says, this is how God feels about you. There's no more powerful picture of God's love towards us than this parable we're going to look at this morning. I want us just to read it all together because I want us to see it. I Normally, we just work our way through, but I want you to see it all together. Look at verse 11. It says, And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the, the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I'll get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. And was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. And I've I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Father, we pray this morning that in this parable, God, we would be reminded again of your love towards us. God, I pray that if there's any prodigals today who are running from you, who are rebelling against your word, against your commands, against your rule and your authority, God, I pray that you would break their heart today, that they themselves would come to their senses, they'd see themselves for who they are, and they'd be so overwhelmed by your love and your grace that they would return to you in repentance and faith and know your salvation. God, work in us this morning. Holy Spirit, work in the lives of everyone here, myself included, and draw us closer to yourself. We ask you, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first in this story, I want us to see the rebellion of the son. You see it in verse 12. He says to his father, give me the the share of the estate that belongs to me. And right away, you see the rebellion and the the rudeness and the selfishness of this son. Because when when do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance when somebody dies. So essentially what this son is saying, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, you, you can't die quick enough. And not only is he mean and and rude and ungrateful, but he's selfish because by by taking his stuff and leaving, he's throwing more of a burden of the labor upon his dad and his brother. But as we're going to come to find out, he doesn't really care about his father. He only cares about what the father can give him. 
So, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want it now. And so he takes his inheritance, and in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered the estate on loose living. He takes his estate, his inheritance, he leaves the country. He's, he's attempting to get as far away from the father as he possibly can. He's a, he wants to get away from his influence, his authority, his rule. God, I, or this father, I don't want your rule. I don't want your authority. I want to do whatever I want to do. And he wastes all this money on loose living. Now, the older son tells us later that he used this, this money or this loose living involved prostitutes. Inheritance in those days didn't come in the form of cash. It came in the form of land. And land to, to, to an Israelite was always a picture of God's blessing. So the picture here is that this young man has taken the blessing of God and used it on prostitutes. This young man, he is mean, he is rude, he is lazy, he is selfish, he is immoral, and he is ungrateful. And to top it all off, he's not very smart either because in verse 14, what did he do? When he had spent everything. And by the way, as the Pharisees are hearing this story, which they were the primary audience, they're getting angry as they hear this story. They're thinking this boy better get what he's got coming to him. And so when he had spent everything, it says what? A severe famine just so happened to occur. And who is orchestrating the whole thing? God. He is sovereign over all the circumstances. And then look at verses 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. So he is broke. He's got no money, so what does he have to do now? Now he's going to have to actually work. But he's going to go to work for a Gentile. I think the thought is that I have to earn back this money so that when I go back to dad, I'll not come empty-handed. He's trying, he's attempting to earn back the father's favor in his own strength. And how does it work out for him? Well, he may be doing some really nasty, dirty work, but they aren't paying him anything. That's what it says in verse 16. No one was giving anything to him. So in his own effort, in his own strength, he's getting nowhere. He's just spinning his wheels. So here he is, humiliated, humbled. He is crushed to the point that this Jewish aristocratic son is now jealous of what the pigs are eating. And the Pharisees, they're thinking to themselves, yes. Break him, crush him, hurt him, kill him. Because a Jewish boy who renounced his family and renounced God and renounced the nation, he was guilty. And the punishment was that he was to be stoned to death. That was the legal punishment for a boy who had renounced his family and the nation. In verse 17, it says what? When he had come to his senses, he said, Here is a young man who is completely spiritually, emotionally, and physically broke. And he is hungry. And what is the Beatitudes? What did Jesus say? Blessed are the 
poor in spirit. Well, this young man is poor. He's broke. He's so broke he can't even pay attention. He is broke. Not only is he poor in spirit, what's the next beatitude? Blessed are those who mourn. Do you not think this young man cried some tears of regret and pain in the midst of his circumstances, thinking, what in the world have I done? And then Jesus went on in the Beatitudes and said, blessed are the meek, the humble. This boy's got no pride left in him. He would gladly eat the pods that the the pigs were eating. He's got no pride left in him. And then what is that fifth beatitude? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And you got a boy right here who is hungry and thirsty for more than just food. He longs for the warmth and the love of his father's home. He is broke, poor, humbled, and hungry. He's at the end of his rope. And the only place he has left to turn is where? To daddy. And his only plea, his only hope is that my father will be gracious to me. Well, verse 18, he says, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. In the midst of this kid's pain and suffering, God has has pulled back the blinders from his eyes. He's come to his senses, meaning he finally sees things as they really are. See, when he set out on this journey, he was a young man who knew it all. I know everything. I don't need my dad. I got it all figured out. And now what does he understand? He understands I'm a sinner. And he hasn't just sinned against his dad. He has sinned against heaven is what he says. Meaning, I've sinned against God. You remember what David said in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba? Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't blame his friends. He doesn't blame his dad. He doesn't blame the weather. He doesn't blame a famine. He doesn't blame the economy. He takes full responsibility for his sins. And he doesn't just feel bad about his sins. He's not just regretful. He's repentant. He's changing the direction of his life. He was walking away from God, and now he's walking towards God. And when he turns back to the father, look at the father, look at his reaction, look at the love of the father, verse 20. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what you're going to see here is that the father's not going to treat the son as the law demands. He'll not treat him as society would expect or even as common sense would expect. The father sees him from a distance. Why? Because every day the father's been looking for him. It's a powerful picture. The father sees the son before the son sees the father. And it says he felt compassion. I mean, picture this with me. You've got a son or a daughter that has left you. They've run off. And every day you've been looking out on the horizon, the morning, the evening, just hoping that you'll see their shadow break the horizon and you'll see that son or that daughter returning home. And the father sees his son. Can you picture this boy in your mind? His hair is probably disheveled. 
His beard is, is mangy. He's covered in pig's mud. Most people wouldn't even have probably recognized him. But the father does. Because that's my boy. And it says that this father ran. Now, elder men in Jewish culture that didn't run. It was a shameful thing for an elder man to run. Because in order to run, you'd have to pull up your, your tunic. And it was a shameful thing to show the lower part of your leg. Because let's be real honest. An old man whose legs hadn't seen the light of day in a long time. That's a shameful thing. Just a suggestion for some of you, I don't know. <laughs> this was an incredibly shameful thing. But this father's love for the son so overwhelms any sense of dignity or pride that the father humbles himself. And I bet everybody that was watching was mocking that old man as he pulled up his tunic and started running down that road. But he didn't care. He'll take the shame of that son on himself. He'll take the stench and the filth of that boy on himself. By the way, does this remind you of anybody? Does this remind you of anybody who is God and who is perfect and yet he humbled himself and he took your shame on his shoulders? He took your stench and your filth on himself. Why? Because of how much he loved you. As we sometimes see how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son to make a wretch. You remember back before you were following Christ, what a mess you were. And he loved you and gave his son for you. Why? So that he could embrace you. The father and the son, they embrace. And it says the father kissed him. Literally in the Greek, it's, it's that he kept on kissing him. That this demonstration of love, it was so over the top that it was almost embarrassing. And the son says, Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's not just a poetic statement. The son is correct. Legally, once you have renounced your family and left the nation, there is no legal way to be reinstated. But the father will hear nothing of it. He will give it as an act of grace. And he tells his slaves, get the best robe the best robe was the father's robe. The father's going to take his own perfect robe and use it to cover the filth of this sinful boy. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That when we return and we repent of our sin and then trust in Christ, the Father clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, get the ring and the sandals. This boy, he will not be a slave. He will be a son. And they will celebrate with a feast. And notice this, this to me. 
he doesn't mention one thing the son did. He doesn't say, boy, sit down. We're going to go over these mistakes you've made. The son simply turns to the father in repentance and faith, and his sins are as far as the east is from the west. Folks, there is no more clear picture of the gospel and the father's love in all of God's word. Because all of us, all of us rebelled against the Father. All of us, like sheep, went our own way. We rebelled against God. We, at one time, prior to faith in Christ, said we don't want God in our life. We're going to do whatever we're going to do. We're going to go wherever we want to go. And we don't want God telling us what to do. And we rebelled, and we went our own way. And maybe we thought, boy, I'm going to go down this path. It's going to lead me to life. It's going to lead me to fulfillment. And guess what we found out? There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, what does it lead to? A bunch of heartache, pain, and ultimately destruction. And at some point or another, we finally ran out of ourselves. And God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, I don't know where you were, but God spoke into your heart, and he revealed who you really are, that you are a sinner. And we got downwind of ourselves and we smelt our own stench. And then, not only did we see ourselves in our sin, but we turned towards Christ as our only means of salvation. And at the slightest turn of repentance and faith, God ran to us and he clothed us in the righteousness of Christ and he gave to us full sonship and daughtership through faith in Christ Jesus. Reconciled, forgiven, freed. And he doesn't mention a thing about your past. Folks, if that doesn't tell you how much God loves you today, nothing ever will. Now, I wish the story just stopped right there, but it goes on because there's another son. Look at verses 25 through 32. Now we see the self-righteous son. We'll not go into all the details, but in verses 25 through 28, you see there what? He's outside the father's house too, just like the younger son. And just like the younger son, this elder son, he's disrespectful. When he hears the celebration of this younger son coming home, he gets angry. So he may have been working for the father, but he certainly doesn't have the father's heart. And look at verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, look, this is really a glimpse into the sinfulness of this man's heart. Look, Father, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. He's saying, you, you've given all this good stuff and all this lavish celebration for this rebellious, good-for-nothing, lazy boy, and you've never given me so much as a goat. See, like the younger son, he didn't really love the father. He only loved what the father could give him. He's as wicked as the younger brother. He's just a little better at hiding it. 
You see, the picture here is that both the sons were lost and sinful. And the father loved both the sons. The father sought both the sons. Even with the eldest son, you see the father pleading with him. But salvation only came to the one who recognized his sinfulness and cried out for mercy. And some of you that are listening or watching online or in this room this morning, you identify today with that younger son. You know in your heart you've been outright rebellious towards God. You have run from God. You have thought you know better than God. I'm going to outsmart God. I know a better way to fulfillment. I know a better way to happiness. I know a better way to joy. And you've turned and you've gone your own way. And yet today you are spent. You are humbled. You are broken. And you are hungry. Spiritually speaking. You have run out of yourself. Can I just challenge you today, if that is your spiritual condition, why wouldn't you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you this morning, at the slightest turn of repentance today, the Father will run to you and he will embrace you and he will restore you and he will clothe you in his righteousness. He'll place the Holy Spirit inside your heart and he will lead you down a new path, a path that leads to life. And all of it's available to you, not on the basis of any work of your own, but simply believing in Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. But some of you are listening this morning, and you are worse than a sinner. You are self-righteous. You think you're good. And you think somehow one day you're going to stand before God like this eldest son. And he's going to be impressed with all your good works and your righteous activity. Because you think God's judgment is about comparing you to other people. See, that's what a lot of people think. They think I'm good. Well, good in comparison to who? See, you can always find somebody worse than you. See, I'm better than him or I'm better than her. Listen to me this morning. God's judgment is not about comparing you to other people. It's about comparing you to God. It's about comparing you to his holiness and his righteousness. And one day you're going to stand before a holy God. And in that moment, it's become, it will become incredibly apparent that he is far more holy than you thought. And you are far more sinful than what you thought. And at that moment, you'll recognize your only hope is the mercy and grace of God. But at that moment, it'll be too late. And what I would challenge you to do today is humble yourself and acknowledge that like all of us, you are a sinner. And while you might think you're good, in comparison to God, it's like filthy rags. And your only hope of salvation is the mercy and grace of God. And I would implore you today to turn in your humility and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation.
See, this is why it's so important that, that we're incredibly clear about what the gospel is. Coming to Jesus is not just coming to Jesus so you can have a little better life. I will tell you that following Jesus, I believe it's the best way to live. But we don't come to Jesus primarily because we want a better life now. We come to Jesus because we're sinners, and apart from him, we will go to hell. And our only hope is that this God would love us and be gracious to us in sending his son to die on a cross for our sins, and by trusting in him, we can have salvation through faith. What a powerful picture of God's love for us. As I was studying this, I was reminded of a story that, that Jim Cimbala, I heard him tell it at a conference years ago. He said on one Sunday morning, he's a pastor of a large church in New York, and um, one Sunday morning, his wife was leading the opening song for worship, and his wife is the choir director for them, and she was doing the opening song, and he said, I, and he was very clear, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, it's not as though God spoke to me audibly, but he said, I was sitting on the front row, and I very clearly felt God impress upon me, go quickly and preach the gospel. Go quickly and preach the gospel. And he said he began to argue with God. I can't go and preach now. We, we've only sung one song. That's not the order of service. He begins to tell God about the order of service and how it works there. But he said it was abundantly clear. God was speaking to him. Go quickly right now and preach the gospel. And so he said he, he doesn't always obey God like this. But in that moment he trusted the Lord and he jumped up from his seat. And he went up there and his wife's looking at him like what in the world? You're not supposed to be up here right now. And after the song is over, he says, I've just got to pause the service right now, and I've got to preach the gospel. And he said, I just preached the plain and simple truths of the gospel, that we're all sinners, and in order for somebody to come in faith in Christ, they've got to admit they're a sinner, and they've got to repent of their sin, and they've got to turn towards Christ, but if they'll do so... Simply by placing their faith, they can be reborn. And so he presented the gospel. I think he actually had another gentleman share his testimony. And then they extended an invitation. They gave an invitation. They sang an invitation song. And, and people began to come forward. And then they moved on with their service. Well, on Monday morning, somebody called the church office. And they said, hey, uh, I want to get the, the music and the lyrics to the song that you sang early in the service. It was an invitation song. I've never heard it before, and I really want the music. I want the lyrics. And, and the lady answered the phone and said, well, the, the, you know, Pastor Simba's wife, she doesn't read sheet music. We don't really keep that, but we'll try to get the lyrics to you. But, but she said, I'm just curious. Why in the world would you want that song? What, what is it about that song? And he said, well, let, let me just tell you a little story here. He said, this weekend... I had a business trip in New York City, and me and my wife were going, and we're burdened right now for our son. He's not the son that we raised, and he's walked away from God. And we thought, well, maybe if we spend some time with him this weekend, we'll see some sights in New York, and we had heard about your church, and we thought, well, we'll go to your church on Sunday morning before we return home. So he was with us this weekend, and 
We were so anticipating being in your church on Sunday morning. And, and, but we noticed on Saturday night, we got to looking at our plane tickets. We noticed we made a mistake. Our, our, our flight left an hour earlier than we thought. And so we realized there's no way we could stay for the entire service. But we thought, well, we'll just go and we'll, we'll see as much as we can. And then whenever we have to leave, we'll leave. And so they went, and they said we sat in the balcony so we could make an easy exit. We're watching uh, our watches, and there's one song, and they said, this is crazy. But all of a sudden, you popped out of your seat, and you ran on the stage, and you shared the gospel. Just as plainly as we've ever heard it. And then you extended an invitation. And they said, our son was the very first person to get up and walk down front. And that morning, he trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And we've had the sweetest conversations on the ride home. And we believe that God is doing a great work in his heart. And Pastor Simbla said this. Wouldn't it be just like God to rearrange an entire worship service for one boy? Can I tell you, there could possibly be somebody in this room this morning that you're that one boy or you're that girl. And God has you here, or maybe you're listening online, maybe you're in DeSoto, maybe you're in Olathe, maybe you're just down the hall, or maybe you're in a home room. I don't know where you're at today, but God has you here because he wants you to know I love you. And while you haven't been seeking me, I've been seeking you. I've been looking and watching. And maybe God today is beginning to peel back the blinders from your eyes. And maybe you're beginning to see the depth of your own sin. And maybe for the first time you're realizing just how much God loves you. And I want to challenge you this morning. Would you turn in repentance and faith? Would you trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and know the love of the Father this morning? Let's pray together. Father, Father, I know with um, this amount of people in the room and watching online and in all of our services, I would imagine there's a lot of parents, Lord, who have children who are not walking with you. Potentially grandparents in this room or watching online and their hearts are broken for a granddaughter or a grandson who's not walking with you. And Lord, right now, we, we just... God, we give our children to you. Our grandchildren, we give them to you knowing that, God, you love them more than we do. As hard as that is to imagine. And God, I would ask that you would do whatever is necessary to draw their heart to you. God, I know that's a dangerous prayer. But God, we pray that you would move in the lives of our children and grandchildren that they might come to faith in Christ. 
They might be lost with the pigs or they might be lost in the pews, but they're lost and they need you. God, draw them. God, I pray if there's one of those prodigals that's listening today, I I pray, God, that you would so overwhelm them with your love that they couldn't help but run to you. God, more than this, I pray that as they turn to you, you would run to them. I I pray through faith and repentance today they would know your grace and your forgiveness, your peace, your joy, your freedom. As John said, what a great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called your children. God, I pray that they would know the love of you, the perfect Father this morning through faith in Christ. Father, for all of us, may we stand in awe and wonder again of the salvation that you have provided, the way you have loved us even when we were lost and in rebellion. Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.